Good morning and welcome to the original Loretta Brown Show radio to open the heart, heal the soul and awaken the consciousness. And it is, I don't know, Benny, it's foggy, it's kind of chilly. Uh, I kind of like it. Is summer officially over now? I don't know. I was wondering. Uh, <laughs> it seemed like it was here for very long. I only just got my sandals out, right? I know, right? I only just got my ma- Manny Petty, right? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> oh, great That's mi- why you look so amazing great today. Great minds think alike. I know. Wow. I know. Sitting right next to the chair next to me. I know. I'm working on my facial hair. Okay, oh. You know. Oh, I was Things talking about good. toes. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, the Manny Petty. Hey, if that's what the guys are into <laughs> that you hang out with, all right. Uh, 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 okay. Yeah, well, let's all not right. go there. Let's do, not go do, there. Do, do. Anyway, I hope everybody out there is having a wonderful morning, uh, getting your uh, coffee, your hot cocoa, your your kids up. Of course, your early um, waxing. Your I early waxing. Yeah, whatever it is that you're doing at this time <laughs> totally. of the morning. Um, thank you so much for tuning in because we love you tuning in. We like it. Yeah, and uh, as you could tell we also kind of like to maybe lighten things up i my clientele this week has been pretty pretty heavy there's a lot of stuff going on Uh, i call it change i don't think it's necessarily bad but it can make us a little uncomfortable so anyway uh i am the uh, like i said i'm loretta brown i'm the owner of reiki oasis located right here in the greater seattle area we've been around about 25 years somewhere in there and uh, if you want to find out more about me, you can find it at ReikiOasis.com. And, of course, you can schedule everything at schedule.ReikiOasis.com. We are a listener-supported show. Thank you to my patrons. And if you want to be part of that family, you can go to patreon.com slash The Loretta Brown Show. And every dollar you donate is very much appreciated uh, and keeps us on the live airways. I think we're alive, aren't we? I'm, I'm alive. Benny's looking. God, I'd hope so. Yeah, that's right. It's amazing advances what they do with <laughs> you know, electronics and you know mechanical items if you weren't. I'm always <laughs> amazed at what goes right. on. I'm constantly taking a look at things and, and trying to keep up with it. Yeah. And, yep. Okay. Yep. Let's work with that. I am. We're going to work with it. Oh, okay. Yep. Yep. I'm still kind of waiting for the Dick Tracy watch. You what know. do you mean? That's a thing of the past. You know how far and way ahead we are that? Have you heard of the Apple Watch? Oh, yes. That's Samsung right. Watch. That's the Samsung to, like, Watch. Yeah, that's name right. brand. But those are out there already. Yeah. I mean, if yeah. you want to go back to like the, yeah. what is it, uh, 99, where you had the shoe phone? Oh, yeah. That's right. Get smart. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. You always had the. <laughs> Yeah, you always had the shoe phone and the cone of silence or something, yeah. and none of it worked. I don't know if I really want to be putting a shoe up to my face. No, I don't. Mm-hmm. I always wondered nope. about that myself, too. Nope, never yeah. never, never dug on that Pretty one. funny stuff. So, yeah, we have come a long way. Um, at Reiki Oasis this Saturday, day after tomorrow, we have Temple of the Divine Feminine, which is my monthly class. Please come on out. We'd love to have you. And uh, the Egypt trip has been moved to February. However, this coming Sunday... We have an Egyptian meet and greet from 1 to 3 p.m. where you can come out and meet Hatim Ali, the director of tourism for Egypt Gate Travel. I had him on the radio show a couple of weeks ago talking about all things Egyptian. And uh, so come on out for a little meet and greet. And you will need to either uh, email me, Loretta Brown, email me at ReikiOasis at gmail.com to get the location of the get-together because um, it's going to be at a private residence, and I don't really want to put their address on the air, but we would love to have everybody come. 
And this is for people who have traveled with me before and they know Hatem and they'd like to come hang out with him a little bit because he's come all the way from Egypt to do this. And for those that think you might like to go on a trip to Egypt with me and a very small group of sacred select travelers, I call them Soul Tribe family because, I don't know, there there's something magical that happens on the trips uh, where people that are supposed to be there are there. And I kind of have this idea we made an agreement to do it once upon a time. The trips are very, very fun. They are uh, top shelf. They're uh, five-star accommodations. We have our own yacht, and we go to all the temples. We do meditations and holding hands and did I miss that part from earlier in yeah. the couple of weeks when we interviewed Hatem about the private yacht? Yeah. Wow. You did. It's Where was I on I that one? I don't know. It's Gee. a it's a private yacht. It's sounds just exquisite. us. That sounds awesome. <laughs> There's more staff than people. Yeah. <laughs> and he he wow. did mention that, you know, you can have anything you want. Like if 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 you... I'm on a yacht, I better do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. The food's all fresh. I mean, they do what they can. Wow. Like, if, if you want fish, it's fresh, right? You know? Living like the king and queens. Oh, like, living like pharaohs, and he oh, says. Oh, even, even better. Mm-hmm. Nice. He actually thinks that here in the United States, he says, all of you live like royalty. You all live like pharaohs. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It, I think that's up for uh, debate. Right. But, um, we won't get into I that. I think it's his recognition of our of our potentiality here, our possibility that other countries in the world pr- probably don't have. Okay. So, Good to know. Yeah. So anyway, Hatem is really an amazing man. And, um, of course, Linda Kidby, our travel mm-hmm. concierge, will be there. And, of course, yours truly, me. I will be there. So if you want to come out this coming Sunday, it's just one to three. It's just a little meet and greet. Um, you will be able to see some pictures of our travels. And, of course, there's an opportunity to join the next uh, group that will be February 19th through March 4th. And, um, you know, like I say, you, you, you know, if you just want to come out and meet us and you're like, look, I don't have my wallet out, Loretta, that's fine. Don't, don't get all worried about it. We're, <laughs> we're, we're not going to hold you down with a foot to your throat. <laughs> say you got to sign up before you leave. It's not like that. We just, I think uh, the hospitality of the Egyptian people, the idea of it is just a really wonderful thing. So like I say, contact me, Loretta Brown. Send an email to ReikiOasis at gmail.com or PM me through Facebook.com slash the Loretta Brown Show, and I will get you the address so that you can come on out. And um, yeah. So I also have some other things coming up. I'm actually uh, going to be out of town for a couple of weeks, going on a personal pilgrimage to, um, well, I guess I'll call it the Tibetan region of China, right? And I'm going to be walking the Korra around Mount Kailash. Uh, in addition to that, I'll be doing what's called transmissions from the top of the world, and I will be sending transmissions from certain locations, which are kind of channeled uh, it's a little hard to explain exactly what they are, but they're channeled information that carry with them a certain unique vibration so that when you receive it, uh, it, it will activate you in some manner. And the transmissions will be filled with the energy of the locations that I'm inspired to send it from. So if you're interested in receiving those transmissions, once again, uh, contact me, Loretta Brown, ReikiOasis at gmail.com, and I'll, I'll get you all the information. So without further ado, because that's enough about me, I have a wonderful guest today. I've had him on the show today, and I'm always delighted and blessed to have Paul Selig on my show. 
Paul is one of the foremost spiritual channels in the world today. And Paul just simply receives clairaudient dictation from, from his guides, his, the unseen intelligences that he calls the guides. And through Paul, the guides offer the voices and wisdom of the otherworldly, helping us expand our view of reality and move towards ultimate manifestation. Those two words alone uh, make me pause. Ultimate manifestation. The guides have written many books through Paul, and today we're going to be talking about his latest book called Realization, a channeled text, and it is the first book in the Beyond the Known trilogy. So welcome to the show, Paul. Thank you for waiting during all those announcements. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's always good to have you. You have such a lovely energy. Uh, I also want to... um, just extend an invitation to your guides that, you know, if they want to talk on the show, they can also, which I know they do, but I just want to make sure everyone knows they're very welcome here. Um, I was uh, realizing yesterday be, uh, that I have had a sign in my waiting room for quite a while that I actually received from you or your organization in some way, and it's a quote, and I have it kind of displayed prominently and only just now, (laughs) you know, sometimes I'm a little slow. And I made the connection between the quote and the fact that it actually came uh, through from your guides through you. And the quote is, you can't be the light and hold another in darkness. (laughs) Yeah. And I just wanted to um, share that at the beginning. I think it's just fantastic. Um, I know that many people know who you are and you've been on my show before, but could you, just to kind of lay a groundwork, just briefly tell us how you came to do the work that you're currently doing? And may, I, I hope I'm not too far off to say that I think you're a somewhat reluctant clairvoyant, maybe in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, I was raised, you know, not to believe in this stuff, you know, very seriously. And I, um, you know, was agnostic at best, um, but I started opening up in my mid-twenties, um, spiritually and psychically, and, um, you know, that was a journey, and I did my work very quietly for many years in my apartment with a, a group of people who would show up every week. I was teaching college at the time. I did that for 25 years, so I wasn't really looking to be known as a channel. I began to open up as a clairaudient um after I had studied a form of energy healing, and I was volunteering at a center um, that had opened up to provide people um, with life-challenging illness support. It was the height of the AIDS epidemic in New York. Mm. So I found that when I had my hands on people's bodies, I began to hear things for them. And as I began to trust that information, as it kept getting validated, I started with a little group, and I began channeling, um, although I it wasn't as it is now. Initially, I was bringing through energetic transmissions and, you know, information, but it wasn't a teaching. It was code, really, and attunements mm-hmm. is how the guides I work with started. Um, and over the years, um, you know, I guess my system was refined somehow. I know I quit smoking in 2008, which I had needed to do for many years. And when that was out of my system, the guides actually began dictating through me, and the books started coming, maybe, you know, within a year of that. 
So, you know, my job is to show up and take the dictation. The psychic work I do is clairsentient and clairaudient. I, I have this odd ability to tune into other people, the living, and hear them, so and feel them and sort of become them. So I, I call myself a radio when I'm channeling. Mm. I'm hearing the guides that come through me when I'm reading people. They're the stations that I'm tuning into or the people that they ask about. I could just tune into them and sometimes even sort of broker a higher conversation about what's really going on. So that's my work today. I've left academia. I travel with this work. And this was the book that just came out was the seventh book, um, three, six, seven. And they've since dictated the eighth. That was just done about two months ago. So they've seemed to have a lot to say. And I just take the dictation. The recordings of the sessions are sent to transcriptionist and the on edited versions of those lectures are what comprise the books. Um, when you are taking the dictation, as you say, do you, do you consider that channeling or just uh, taking dictation? Or does the that matter? Channeling. Yeah, it'd be channeling. Yeah, I mean, so I'm, 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 I may be different than others. Some people sort of say that anything that's inspired is channeled. And I think of, I think of inspiration as distinct. I had been a, mm, mm-hmm. a playwright when I was younger. I know what inspiration is, and I think it's high stuff, and all great art, I believe, is inspired. It can be inspired at different levels, but the difference between inspiration and is that I, and is you, you're given the idea, you're given the image, but then there's a craft that is employed. For example, I if I were a short story writer, I would have to go back and revise my work, you know, and craft my work. In the case of channeling, as I experienced at least, I really am taking dictation. Um, and it's it's pretty much word for word is what I'm being, what's coming through me, that what makes it into the book. So, you know, I've met people that said, well, you know, I'm sending my channelings off to an editor to be polished, and I go, well, you know, it's not yours to polish. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what I say? I mean, if it's channeled, it's channeled. Yeah. And that's not to denigrate how other people are working. It just may be semantics. But I'm clear that if I can go in and take out a phrase that I don't like and replace it with one that I do, I don't think it qualifies in the same way as a channel piece of work mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. a collaboration that may be inspired, but... Um, you know, and, and likely is, but I think it falls into a slightly different category. And I don't denigrate the category. I think it's fine. I mean, you know, I mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. great art, great music is, is inspired music. But I think the difference is if you're sitting there and you're given each note for the symphony and your job is to render that note as it's given to you, there's really no thought involved. There may be a skill set that's required to be able to deliver it clearly, and I do think that that's something that gets developed. Um, but I do tend to make that distinction, you know, for myself. Mm-hmm. I, I thank you for that clarification. I actually in, enjoyed what you just said. I think the difference between inspiration and channeling. I, I agree with you. And what is very, um, I'm going to say, very distinct about your work is that it is absolutely word for word. I think that. You know, it's really clear that, um, you know, I th- I think you've even said there might be a word here and there that you drop because they speak so quickly. But, mm-hmm. Maisley, it's just what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, they, mm-hmm. in the newest book, the one that's not out yet, they actually were used, they used a word that I didn't know in a, in a dictation. Mm. And I didn't want to say the word because I knew it was a book dictation. And I was like, I don't think this is a word. And so what now is in the book is we're speaking a word, Paul's refusing to say it, <laughs> you know. And the word was, was a word. I mean, people looked it up on their phones or as soon as the channeling was over. It was this word, penumbra which I didn't know what it meant, but it was the perfect word for the lecture, which was all about light and shadow, you know, and penumbra, I guess, is the, the light that <laughs> exists beyond the shadow. But there was a word, I didn't know it. So penumbra is now a footnote in the manuscript, but later in the man, and they do this twice, and I didn't know this, the, the transcriptionist caught it. There's a word that they use twice that's not a word that sounds like it should be a word, or maybe it once was a word, but it was counterance which seems to mean in in contrary to or contrariness, counterance. Mm-hmm. And maybe they meant contrariness, but I've never heard them use the word. So the word that I spoke was counterance. And it's not a word. And I, my assumption is it's going to stay in the book yeah. with the footnote. You know, this is how it came through. Right. Um, but they've done it before, and I've actually had copy editors say, you know, your guides are using this word in an improper way. Um, I think the word, it was in the very first book, I think the word requiem was used. They said convents have been requiems for many. And uh, I looked it up, and it was actually the appropriate word. It was just not in usage in this. The way it was being used was appropriate hundreds of years ago, but it wasn't, it's not how we think of a requiem now. So who knows? That's fascinating. Um, I I think it, it sort of brings into focus, though, this maybe a broader perspective that they might have or um you know i i think that in our time space continuum we probably change things a bit as we go through you know i know language has changed yeah 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 they do i mean it's interesting they don't use i think they've they've used the word or the the word computer once maybe through me in all these years when i used to hear if i would say am i going to hear from ralph I'd hear on the television, which usually meant on the computer, because it was a screen. Uh-huh. So, you know, they're a little bit dated, but they say that they don't use the language of science when they work, because the language of science won't be, we'll be calling things by different names mm-hmm. in 100 years, you mm-hmm. know, it's, mm-hmm. it's dated of the time. And, I mean, maybe that's the reason. Maybe it's because I just have, you know, I basically flunked science, you know, and I don't remember <laughs> any of it. You know, they don't, they, they, you know, they would have to really get really good at feeding me the words syllable by syllable if they want to get into that kind of stuff. So they use the terms, they use musical terminology mm-hmm. when they teach, mm-hmm. which they say is, does not change, you know, so that's how I understand it. Um, I actually was going to talk you talk to you about that musical terminology because they talk a lot about frequency, right? Or um, there's actually a little quote from your book here at, that I wrote down. The guides say, "As we sing to you, and by song we mean resonance, we sing for you to bring you to us at the level of agreement you can adhere to. To bring you to the upper room requires you to consent and be lifted." Can you talk a little bit about this? I'm going to call it language of frequency for lack of knowing exactly what to say about it. 
Yeah. I mean, what they've said, they've said a few things. I don't know that I understand it truthfully. They've said actually that there's one note playing in the entire universe. There's only one note, and that one note, you can call it God, all that is, and that that one note is being played in different articulations, different ways of being known in everything and anything we see. So it's one note playing out in infinite ways. And they say that everything is in tone, everything is in sound, and what they're doing, and, and, they, and then they seem to use sound and oscillation or tone and vibration somewhat interchangeably. And I don't know that I understand that, but it's sort of how I've experienced it. But they're talking about lifting the, the tone, the vibration of who and what we are, and the who is the claim of identity, how we know ourselves, you know, as... I suppose, as as a structure, as a being, and that's inclusive of form. So that even the physical realm, they say everything is in tone and vibration. And the lifting of the physical plane through consciousness, which is what they're teaching now, you know, is about a correlation of tone. You align to the higher, and then by nature of presence, you're actually lifting everything you encounter not through an act or even necessarily a choice to lift, but through vibrational accord. For years they were saying through me, accord, A-C-C-O-R-D or A-C-H-O-R-D on a piano. I can't tell you how many times they used to say that. I just roll my eyes. <laughs> and I didn't fully understand it. And now I really understand it. Because these claims, these attunements that they make, they say, um, are operate as notes on a piano each has its own different tone when that when those notes are played and realized which seems to be the important word in unison you have the chord and the chord itself is the alignment to a level of embodiment that allows a form of alchemy to sort of be present which is you become they say the doorway to the higher octave to the upper room and by nature of your presence the tone that you emit is actually lifting what you encounter to that level of agreement. And agreement means accord, vibrational accord, or co-resonance. Wow, there's a lot in that. Yeah. Um, because I'm thinking, you know, a lot of people talk about, okay, we're, you know, the old way versus the new way, right? Mm -hmm. Which is another way of saying um, the same thing that you're saying. How do we how do we get it to the upper room and and because you brought that up and and mm -hmm. and what is the upper room? Well, what the guys have said is that you know everything is where that we collectively are operating in an octave. Of, it's, a, it's like a musical term. An octave is a, a it's a system of agreement. You know, it's got high notes and low notes, but it, we're all within the shared construct of a reality that we've agreed to embody and, and, you know, that we are co-creating through. So, the, you know, some people say, well, you create everything, and the guides are also speaking to how the collective creates everything, and that we're of a collective, and we have a shared vocabulary of meaning that we've inherited over time, and we just keep replicating because it's all that we've known. So what the guides say that they're doing is they are transposing and that's another musical term, mm. the music that we are, to be played in a higher octave. The higher octave is the upper room. 
And you, they call it different things. I mean, you know, sometimes they'll call it Christ mind. It's a level of, of vibrational accord and consciousness. And they've said it's actually the highest that we can align to while we are maintaining form. That's the level of agreement you can come to while keeping a body. You know, with, because, the, you know, even, and I may be wrong with my understanding of this, but, you know, they say everything is in vibration, including the body. And part of the problems we've had is that we've come from some system that says if there is a God, it's in the clouds. And, you know, if, you know, when we're stuck here in the mud and the guides are saying, well, God is the mud and God is all things. And God is also the body, the skin, the spine, all these things. And the realization of that, which they work with through these attunements, and they're very palpable, you can feel them, mm-hmm. and you can mm-hmm. work with them with others in a way that's very tangible, is lifting the, the body as, a, as an organism, as a field, to a higher level of tone or oscillation. So at that level, you're really speaking about embodiment as the true self, not once you get rid of the body and once the body's not in the way, but inclusive of form, so that you are operating in what they call the upper room. And how one gets there, well, I mean, they talk about it a lot in the new book. At the end of the book that preceded it, which is called the Book of Freedom, they spoke about, I mean, that's the book where they're really talking about sort of all of our agreements to systems of control and to fear and to how we believed reality to be, because it's what we've known, it's what we've been taught. And at the end of that book, they invite the readers across the threshold through a doorway into a new life. And the beginning of the next book was what's on the opposite side of that doorway, which is the upper room. Now, the attunements that they use that precede the lifting to the upper room seem to be part of how we get there, which is a realignment of identity and form and and our own potential to be expressed in a higher way. And truthfully, to live to the upper room, you know, as they do it in workshops and through the books, is the invocation of those claims, which are attunements. I mean, I suppose you can say they're like Reiki attunements. They can Mm -hmm. just work through language, Mm -hmm. and they're palpable and can be felt. But the simple claim, I am in the upper room, will move you at a certain point, and you can actually feel the shift. And when they do it in workshops, you know, I had 300 people the other night at an event, you know, for the book, and I'm sure 80% of those people had never felt energy before. It was a newer group of, of people. I think many knew the books, but had never worked collectively with the energy. You could feel the whole room lift, mm-hmm. you know, and they mm-hmm. can feel it, which is what's important. doesn't matter what I feel. So the alignment at the upper room then seems to mean that you're operating in a higher accord, and by nature of presence, they say, you can lift what you encounter to the upper room. You know, they've said many times, you know, what you bless blesses you in return, and what you damn damns you back. Mm-hmm. And you can't mm-hmm. damn anything and lift it to the upper room, because by damning it, you're aligning to that level of vibration, which is low, you know. So we get to sort of be right in our small self's opinions of what should be, or we get to re-know everything as of source, as an articulation of the divine, and in that knowing, things are being lifted to their true nature. 
the guides say you can't make anything holy. It's already holy. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't make it holy. But you, but we've ignored or denied the inherent holiness. They've said in this newest book that's not even out yet that our only real problem collectively is the denial of God. If we could just get past that, we'd be okay. And that's the denial of God in your neighbor and in those people in that country and those people that do those terrible things. Because they've said, you know, that God must be all things. You can't really get to cherry pick, you know, pick and choose what you're going to say is holy and what's not. It's hypocrisy, truthfully. And it's the the failing of, of most religions. Um, the, yeah, the denial of God, the denial of God in ourselves and in each other. Um, you know, I I was just being with your, you said something earlier, um, you know, embodying the true self, embodying the true self, bringing it into the body or taking the body there. With it, yeah. Yeah taking it with it. Um, That's kind of profound for me. I just am sitting with that for a little bit. Uh, We're going to take a a really quick uh, station break. And uh, this is Loretta Brown. My guest today is uh, Paul Selig, who is just really one of my favorite people on the planet. Paul, you probably don't know that. We're talking about his new book, Realization, which is the first of the trilogy in the Beyond the Known. And of course... um, We're talking with his guides also. So we'll be right back. Don't go away. Did you know that Reiki healing can be done at a distance? It's true. So let Reiki Oasis focus powerful energy to help relieve your stress, grief, sadness, anger, and so much more. Convenient, personalized treatments at a distance can increase lightness of being. During your appointment, find a quiet place to lie down or sit to receive healing energies. If you want help with your dis-ease, visit ReikiOasis.com. Harness life's energy. Visit ReikiOasis.com today. Alternative Talk 1150. We're on your radio at 1150 AM. We're on your HD radio at 98.9 Channel 3. So many ways to listen. We're on the web at 1150kknw.com. Streaming live audio and video as well as MP3 archives of many of our shows. So many ways to listen. And now... We're on your smartphone or tablet. Download our free app in the Apple App Store or Google Play and take Alternative Talk 1150 anywhere you go. So many ways to listen. If you talk and they will hear you. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy. So we show them how. And we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. So talk, they hear you. You can do it if you try. Going against the grain has never been this much fun. Alternative Talk 1150. Thank you for the music, Benny, always. No problem. 
Talk about the frequency, man. Throwing it back to like the mid-90s, that would uh, be Tones of Home by Blind Melon. Oh. Unfortunately, they lost their lead singer fairly after that album was released. But oh. we were talking about tones earlier with uh, our wonderful guests. So. We were. We are talking about frequency, tone, yeah. and, and mm-hmm. uh, the language of that, which gets us into the upper room, I think, is, is part of how that goes. Anyway, this is Loretta Brown, my guest today, Paul Selig. We're talking about his book, Realization. I always think people should just go get it now. Um, Paul, I, I have a question for you. Is it important that people read your books in order, or does it matter? It's actually a, a question from somebody listening that, that mm-hmm. uh, sent People enter text. into these teachings wherever they're meant to. That's my feeling. Okay. Um, the guides say that they teach in a one-room schoolhouse and that they're bringing everybody to them at the level that they can be taught. I think it's not a bad idea to start off with the first book, which was I Am the Word, because it's foundational to the ones that follow. Um, but I know that people are beginning with realization, having big experiences with it. So I'm not going to say, you know, wait. I'm going to say go where you're led. So how how would you or your guides define realization? Is well, they that... say it's knowing. Really, realization is knowing. To know something is to realize it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that simple. And this is about the knowing of the inherent divinity in matter and in identity and who everything and what everything is. I mean, they don't teach enlightenment. They say that that's not what the teaching is. They do say it's a teaching of realization. Um, and they've said, you know, it's not the, you know, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'll, I'll, I don't know if they, they want to say anything. I'm getting a head shake no, actually, when I ask about this. Okay. So to know is to realize. I'll leave it at that. To realize. I think that's a big, I think it's a big deal to realize. Yeah. And and you're you're touching on the subject uh, that divine or God is in everything. Mm-hmm. And how do we, how do we relate to that? I mean, you know, because we say that, but how does that show up? And and is there something in this about the echo? You know, am I hitting yeah. around it? Yeah. Okay. I'll, well, I'll talk about the echo um, first. Okay. Um, and it's an interesting thing. It was actually first brought through in the book that in the book of freedom was I think the first time they brought through the echo. Um, and I had been teaching at Esalen, and they were dictating a book with students there, because the last few books were dictated all in front of students. And they sent everybody out onto the lawn and had them sort of stand about, I don't know, 10 feet apart, and witness the inherent divine in the form of the one opposite them. God is the body. God is, you know, everything that is comprising the organism that we know of as form. And the claim was, I know what you are in truth. And they say what means manifestation. I know the what, that you are in truth. And truth means beyond appearance, beyond the temporary nature of how we experience form. She's a blonde today. She may be a brunette tomorrow. He's 35 today. Next year, he'll be 36. You know that these things are transient. So I know what you are in truth is moving to the inherent divine of matter, of manifestation. And they said, feel what comes back to you. And we all felt the energy return. And it was always kind of fascinating. And they built on that since. The newer work that they're doing is really putting that almost on steroids. But I know what you are in truth. 
comes with what they call the echo. And most people feel the echo. It's almost like sonar waves, you know, mm-hmm. like waves of energy that, you know, that move. If you do this in a group, um, sometimes the guy would split the room in two on opposite sides of the room and have them claim it for the other side of the room, and you can feel the waves of energy come back. So that's the sort of the the, the proof. I so I don't like to use the word proof, but that's the the residual effect of that claim. So what they're saying here is basically the divine in who you are recognizes the divine in all other things. You can't do it from the perspective of the personality self who wants things to be the way he or she thinks they should be. But the true self, that aspect of self that knows who he is, what she is, how she serves, is the aspect that can lift things to the upper room. The lifting things to the upper room quite simply is the remembrance of the inherent divinity that must express beyond history, beyond the legacy of our moral teachings and what things should be and what, you know, all of the information that we would sort of label and place upon another to, in some ways, deny their inherent divinity. Mm. So, you know, that's when you do that, that's when things start to really get trippy, you know. And there is, for most people, when they're doing this work, there is an opportunity experientially to understand this. Because this can't really be an intellectual teaching. I don't mm-hmm. really think it is. It's an experiential teaching. Mm-hmm. It's a teaching of the re- realization is experiential. It's not intellectual. You know, you can't try to know anything, and you can't figure your way into knowing. You know, that's still the small self trying to do his or her best with the information that we've been given. And the guides say, you know, when you know, capital K, know, when you know, um, there are no questions. And if you think about any of the difference between thinking and knowing, just go to a time in your life when you knew something. I knew my husband was cheating. I knew I knew the job was ending. I knew the diagnosis was bad. Whatever it might be, any knowing, if you really go to that knowing, there were no questions around it. And also, more than likely, no fear, because the guides say when you're in mm-hmm. your knowing, you're never afraid. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, the marriage may be over, that's not what's frightening. It's what's it going to look like, mm-hmm. and who's going to get the house, and am I going to be alone, and you know, mm-hmm. all the stuff that we trip out on. So you know, they're teaching us to operate at that level, and that's what the realization is. It's the realization of what must be always true, which is, you know, if 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 there is God, if what you want to call God, it must be all things. You know, I mean, that's an old 12-step line, you yes. know, and I'm an old 12-stepper. There's some, somewhere yeah. in that book, you know, God is everything or God is nothing. What's our choice to be? I remember reading that when I was 25 and going, this is too much. <laughs> but it's really a mystical teaching, and the mm-hmm. guides say their own version of that. You know, it must be all or nothing, because you really can't have it both ways, and they break it down and teach it, which is really simple. You can't be the light and hold another in darkness. Mm-hmm. Not possible. And they say what you put in darkness calls you to that darkness. Mm-hmm. Who and what? So if I want to condemn, if I want to damn, if I want to berate, 
if I want to accuse, if I want to shame, if I want to do all those things, we have free will, we can do them all we want to, but it gets us that level of vibrational accord. What you dab, dabs you back. And if we want to lift beyond the known, beyond how we've been taught to be, we have to be willing to release those things that we conveniently use to confirm our idea of what should be, which is she's a terrible person, he's an awful man. And we can say they did they did something, you know, they did whatever they did is what they did. People are always accountable to their actions. But if you deny the inherent God in whoever you're seeing, the guides say you're denying God in everyone. Mm-hmm. You can't have it both ways. It's hypocrisy. Do you understand? Yes, I really appreciate everything you just said. I was kind of trying to have this conversation with someone yesterday, and you just said it so wonderfully. I'm uh, I'm glad this is recorded. I'm going to go back and listen to this over and over. You know, the idea that this is not logical, you can't think your way through this. It's experiential, is uh, so very powerful, so potent, because... When we look at what I call the living level of life around us and what it is that the small self is tr- is seeking, which can't really be found here, right? Yeah. Um, and then, and then the, the the you know people are always saying, well, we're supposed to love everyone, right? We're supposed to be the very beings of light, and and people are like, but I can't stand that person. I I don't yeah. like what they did, right? So this idea of then, well, the light of divine is in everybody. So, you know, maybe maybe we could practice the claim of freedom, you know, like like I know who you are in truth. Like, is this something that would be helpful to people? Sure, because what you're claiming then is what's always true. The guides say what is true is always true. And the inherent divine must be present anyway, in spite of what I think, in spite of what he or she has done. So the claim, I know, which means I realize who you are in truth, which is identity. I know what you are in truth, which must be a manifestation of source. And I know how you serve in truth, which is the expression of the divine that expresses beyond personality, beyond the edicts of what should be. You know, that actually will support you in a realignment to that relationship. You're not like putting lipstick on a pig. You're claiming what's inherent. You're not making it pretty. I mean, I don't Mm -hmm. care, you know, Mm -hmm. in the spiritual community, people walk around saying, oh, I love everybody, and it's just not true, you know? (laughs) Yeah, They love everybody (laughs) if they're they're dressed the right way and if they're voting the way they do and all this stuff. It's, you know, there's this tribalism, you know, and I get it, and I I think there's reasons for that, and we learn through these things, and they're great opportunities. But uh, liking somebody is about personality, you know. Mm-hmm. Loving somebody actually is not, you know. I did an interview recently with somebody, and I was just going nuts during the interview because they'd said on the interview that they had sped read the whole book in mm-hmm. like an hour on a plane, and now they were speaking to the book as if they were an expert on it. And I was like, I can't, you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't get it, you know. But I also got that this is where that person's coming from, and that's how they operate, and it's fine. It's not for me to decide that somebody else is right or wrong. I can have my own opinion about it, 
but it's my opinion. And you know what? If there is a God, the God is as present in that young man or young woman as anybody else. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It just can't be other. So it may not be to my liking. I may have gotten my ego ruffled, which is exactly what happened. That's my problem. You know, my ego's my problem, my small self and who wants things his way. That's where I get to find out where there's opportunity for growth. You know, I mean, the guides, there's an exercise the guides do in one of their books. And they say, you know, imagine um, that you're going up a mountaintop and you go into a cave. And in that cave is the one person you never wanted to see again as long as you live. I said, and your opportunity now is to walk that person out of the cave. And one question why, the answer is because you're the one that put them there. Oh. You know, and they have called you into the darkness that you put them in. Mm. So the idea is you're walking them to the light to free yourself. You know, you can't be the light when you put somebody else in darkness. It doesn't mean that you have to have dinner with them. It doesn't have to mean that you need to remarry them. It doesn't mean that they still don't owe the alimony. It doesn't mean those things, you know. But it does mean that they have the right to be and that they are of the same source as you, regardless of what you think of them. And underline think, because thinking, the small self thinks, the true self knows, and the small self does the best it can with the data of history. The small self replicates history. That's all it knows, mm. who it should be, what another should be, based on all of this inherited information that we've accrued. Now, when you go to what they call the upper room, you start to operate in the present moment, where you're not defining things through the attributes that we have been taught to ascribe such meaning to. Because the true self doesn't work that way. You know, when I do, when I channel sometimes, the guides stand in front of the individuals in the workshops and and, and attune them while looking at them. Mm. And I did this recently at Esalen, because the groups have gotten bigger. I don't always get to do every person, but I did it at Esalen. And there was a man there who I had sat in the back, and I would have thought as my personality self, that man, he's not a it's not in a, a conventionally attractive face. It's a very worn face with a lopsided face, all these things that don't conform to conventional beauty. But when I stood in front of that man, and I was operating, the guys were, were working through me at that level, and I mean, I was floored by his beauty, floored by it. It was exquisite and unique, and the only way this human being could possibly express as he is in that moment, you know? He's not trying to be other, and you're not trying to make them other at that level of knowing them. You're knowing who they truly are, and what, which is an expression and form of of source. It's mind-blowing, because it throws out a lot of these edicts of, what our culture says should be right out the window because all that stuff is just transient inherited Mm -hmm. stuff, nothing more. Yeah. Um, You know, I've, I've been to uh, one of your workshops here in Seattle. Um, I think it was earlier this year Uh and um, I have experienced that 
you know, the, the claim of freedom on others, you know, I know who you are, you know, this <laughs> standing in front of the person. And um, I'm just going to tell the listening audience, you know, it's very powerful. That, that energy that comes back at you is really startling. And really, um, if there's anything that can give you that experience that the divine is in everyone, it's that. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, not just that it's coming through what they teach, but I think it's a universal teaching. I don't know yeah. that you need the guide to do that. I think you do need to understand that you can witness God as, anyone and anything, but you have to be willing to let go of your ideas of what should be, because mm-hmm. those claims are made through, you know, the personality structure and the inherited ideas that we've chosen to operate with. Well, and I think it it, it opens us up if, if we will allow that or, or, or agree to go there, which is, can I, can I look past or look beyond or sense beyond this personality in front of me? that's irritating me mm-hmm. and yeah. and just go there like you say to the upper room or go to that mm-hmm. place um, where truth is and, and that's kind of a big word truth like you know yeah. what is truth yeah well yeah. I'd say what is true is always true you know it's mm-hmm. funny they don't tell what people sometimes raise their hand in a workshop and say, well, my truth is, the guides have been known to say, well, that's your opinion. That's <laughs> not a truth. It's and your opinion is fine, but it's not truth. Yeah. So, you know, you're not always 35 years old. You're not always angry at your oldest son. You're not always looking for a job, you know. Yeah. Those are ways you may be knowing yourself and, and your experience at this moment, but they're not truthfully who you are, right. you know. Because it's all framed by what those things mean. And all of that is, it's not good to have, you know, a son who's not doing what you want. It's not good to have to have a job. It's all of these things. And it may be all be perfect, truthfully, mm-hmm. you know. But you have mm-hmm. to shift to that possibility to re-know something. You can't re-know something when you're demanding it be what you think it should be. And you get stuck. That's how I get stuck. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I do the same thing. I think a lot of people do. Um, what does it mean to be re-articulated as the true self? Are we hitting on that? Yeah, yeah we're hitting on it. I mean, okay. it's, it's their language is re-articulation. Yes. They say everything is spoken into being. I, I, that's their quote. I Don't ask me to explain it. But everything is an articulation, an expression of the divine. To be re-articulated is to be re-known as who you truly are. I mean, it's, a, it's basically a claim of incarnation in a higher way, to be re-known. I mean, the guides use a fair amount of language from, from you know, Christianity mm-hmm. and other mm-hmm. traditions, and one of the things they're saying a lot these days is the claim, behold, I make all things new. That's the claim of the true self who operates in a new landscape. And the behold, I make things new really is about perceiving the inherent divine and being made new through that. The guides talk about the kingdom, and they say the kingdom is the realization, again, the knowing of the inherent divine in all manifestation. And the one who knows that is the one who's aligned that, aligned to that, in, in accord with that. And that is a rearticulation of self beyond the personality. 
There's nothing wrong with the personality. We all have them. But the guides say we mistakenly assume that we are the personality mm-hmm. self. Mm-hmm. And that's just the mask that we wear when we're operating this way. And it's, it's, it's used for commerce. It's used to get what we need and what we want, what we think we should have. And it's an opportunity to learn through. So there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not who we truly are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not who we truly are. You know, in, in your book, you have a, a new attunement in this book, I, I Have Come. Yeah. I have come. Yep. Can, can you talk about that? What does that mean? And is that in mm-hmm. in regards to what you just said, actually? Like, okay, yeah, it who, is. Who am it's I? The, yeah. It's the one who has come is the true self. The one who claims it is the true self. So in the earlier attunement, I know who I am in truth. I know what I am in truth. I know how I serve in truth. I am free. I am free. I am free. They're all as notes played on a piano. And the guides say the chord of all of those notes at once is the claim, I have come. Mm. I have come is a claim of embodiment, the true self who has come. An expression is who and what you are. And that's, you can feel that one, that's a real trip. When they first brought that attunement through, I thought I'd misheard it. I was during a book dictation in front of an audience, and I knew I couldn't change it. But it's what came out of my mouth, and I went, oh boy, I hope they're not doing a whole book on something that I misspoke. And it wasn't until the book was done, and they had some older man, humble man, in a workshop in Houston, stand up in the back of the room and invited him to say those words to those convened. I have come, I have come, I have come. And we all felt sheets of energy coming off. It was really unlike anything I'd ever felt mm. in a room. I went, this is too much. But that is what happens at that level. And I say, that is the tone, that is the accord that lifts what it encounters to the upper room. And they say, in that claim, you become a doorway or a portal from one octave to the next. You're actually lifting what you encounter through the claim of it. Wow. So, um, Paul, how can people find you? And I also understand you have a weekly um, uh, get-together, not a call, but a... Wednesday night. Yeah, Wednesday night. Pretty nights, much every Wednesday I do yeah. that. Yeah, the guys are teaching and taking questions. All the information is on my website. It's paulselig, S-E-L-I-G dot com. Um, mm. You know, and I'm on Instagram and all that other stuff, too, if people want that. But the, the, the workshop schedules and, the you know, the, the live stream information news and events that's all up there on the website thank you thank you so much for being on the show i really really appreciated it and uh, this is loretta brown my guest the amazing really paul selig and uh check check out check him out his newest book realization is the first of his next trilogy and he's got another book already done and more coming so please go out there remember you can't be the light and hold another in darkness thank you paul blessings to you